Well, good morning. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If you're a guest or you're, it's your first time, welcome to our, our home. We're glad you're here to worship with us. Um, we actually just finished a series last week called This Is Home, and then we're transitioning into a new, new series. And I want to bridge the two series with today's sermon. Um, and it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. One of the distinctives of the church that we would have liked to have talked about in our last series about this home is, is we want to lift up Jesus. That's actually one of our core values written into our core values here at the church. Uh, but instead of just doing one message, we want to do a series of messages leading into Easter and, and just taking time to really talk about Jesus and, and see in the scriptures who Jesus is. So today I'm going to be preaching from Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles or your, your phones or your apps or your Baywatch program, turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read 15 through 20 in just a moment. But as you turn there, I want to, I want to uh, prep the message by showing you a, a brief video clip. And in this video clip, uh, you'll see a man who for 55 years of his life thought he could see all that there was to see. He was colorblind until he was given a special lens. So check out this gift. What's that like to have your eyes opened to see things in a brand new light like you've never seen it before? And that's my prayer this morning as we open up the Word of God, that God would give us a special lens through His Holy Spirit, that He would give us grace to be able to see Jesus like we've never seen Him before, that our eyes, the eyes of our hearts would be opened, and maybe some of us, we've known Jesus our whole life but he's been like a black and white Jesus. This is just Jesus I learned in Sunday school or what people have told me. But, but as we look sincerely into scripture, we're going to see Jesus in full color. Jesus for who he is. How beautiful and majestic he is. And maybe some of you, for the first time, my prayer is that you will see Jesus. Because you've never really ever seen Jesus. And so we pray that God would speak to us through his scriptures. That he would give us the lens, the eyes to see. So as we read from Colossians chapter 1, I want to ask that we all stand uh, for the reading of this word. Let's all stand up. And this is, this is the word of the Lord. 
Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's pray. And Father God, we we ask that you would do what only your Holy Spirit can do. Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that through the lens of your Holy Word, we would see Jesus as you want us to see Jesus. And I pray that we would fall in love, that we'd be overwhelmed, left in wonder as we see the beauty of who he is as we see your character in full color. God, leave us amazed. I pray that today and throughout this entire series, in fact, every time we open up the word of God, God, we would just be um, just left in absolute awe. Help us to fall deeper in love with you, God. Lord, I know I can't do that. My words can't do that, but you can. And so we look to you as our teacher, our God. Here are our hearts, here are our minds. Speak, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. 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 You may be seated. So Colossians chapter 1, I want to give you some kind of background as to why Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian church. Right. So Paul gets this news that there's this heresy this false teaching that's kind of making its way into the church and, and confusing people's understanding of Christ. And a lot of people, I mean, we don't know exactly what the Colossian heresy was, but a lot of people says that it actually really resembles what would later become Gnosticism. So they're saying this is kind of like the embryonic forms of this Gnostic philosophy that was clothed in Christianity, but wasn't Christianity at all. And one of the things that Gnosticism taught was that Anything spiritual is good, but anything physical is evil, right? So if you could touch it or feel it, like your bodies, that's evil. This church building, it's evil. And so we run into a problem, a logical problem, because if God is spirit and he is perfectly pure and all good, well, who created the world? Who created us? Who created this universe, right? So in order to kind of uh, bring those two ideas together, there was this common teaching that, well, God must have created these, these spirit beings, right? They call them these emanations that come forth out of God, and with each one in succession, it becomes a little less deity, a little less God. The further these emanations or spirit beings get away from God. So when, when I read about this, it kind of reminded me of these. You guys remember these growing up? Where you open up one and then it produces a lesser, you open up that, produces a lesser, you open up and it produces a lesser. Well, that's probably what the idea is with these emanations. It's a little less God. And then at the bottom of that chain, 
was this being that had just enough deity, enough power to create the whole universe, to create the earth. Just enough power, but yet not close enough to Almighty God, not close enough to compromise the purity of God, God. And so some people are saying, well, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is just one of these emanations, probably the, the bottom of the chain who created everything, but he's not God, God. And so the question is, we have to confront this, this, this false teaching. Who is Jesus? Is he God or is he not God? Is he an angel? Is he a spirit being? Is he the bottom of the pole God? Like kind of like, like a God-ish figure? And what Paul is doing is he's confronting this heresy head on and he's saying, no, Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man. The fullness of God dwells in Christ and that makes him supreme. He makes him high above any other thing. And so how does he show that Christ is supreme? Well, in this passage, there are a couple ways I see. The first is this. He shows that all creation shall bow to Jesus, for he is the firstborn. You might want to write that down if you're following along in your notes. All creation shall bow to Jesus, for he is the firstborn. So we look at verse 15. We go back to the first verse of the passage. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So you might want to circle firstborn. Now what does that word mean? Well, firstborn in the biblical culture, and maybe in some of the cultures represented here, it can mean one or two things at least, right? One is the firstborn was the first to exist, the first to, to arrive, right? Some of you guys are firstborns, and you, you came before your siblings. That's true. But, but firstborn also implies that that's the one with highest authority, greatest authority, and so when we take that idea of firstborn, that's both true of Christ. Christ was firstborn in, in time, right? In verse 17, Paul said he is before all things. In fact, he was forever existing. So Christ existed before anything existed. He is the uncreated creator. He's always been there. And so in that sense, he is firstborn. But also in another sense, emphasized in this passage, is because he was the uncreated creator and he created all things as the firstborn, that gives him highest rank and all authority and all power. Right? Look at verse 16. This is how much authority he has. It says, for in him all things were created. Circle those two words, all things. What things? Things in Heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, circle those two words, all things have been created through him and for him. In summary, nothing exists on its own accord or for its own sake. That means everything was created by him, through him, and for him, in the sense that if he breathed it into existence or he allows it to exist, it exists for him. It exists to serve him or to bring him glory. That means from the ugliest little insect to the most majestic king, 
from the bottom feeder at the bottom of the ocean floor to the eagle that soars high above the highest mountain. From the sweet little lady on your block to the most obnoxious, arrogant coworker in your building. From the prickly little weed to the grandest sequoia. From kale salad to coronavirus, everything exists to bring him glory. Everything exists for Christ to serve this one purpose, to display the greatness of Christ and the glory of our God. I mean, Paul goes so far when he says everything, he goes to the extreme to show that Jesus is supreme, right? Because go back to the passage, how supreme is he? He writes that he's above even thrones or powers, rulers and authorities. Even those were created for him. Now, if you're a Colossian reading this letter, you know exactly what Paul's referring to. Because as a Colossian, you know he's not talking about earthly thrones. He's not talking about powers of nations or rulers of countries or government authorities on earth. That's not what he's talking about. What's he talking about? He's talking about spiritual powers. He's talking about demonic forces in the heavenly realms. How do we know? We'll cross-reference Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. This is the same author, Paul. And in Ephesians 6, Paul's talking about spiritual warfare, battle, right? And listen to his language. He says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? Not, our battle's not against humans, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, where? In the heavenly places. And Paul's saying in Colossians, Christ even created that and he's over that. Now it's like, wait, hold up, hold up, Greg. So you're saying Jesus, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created all the spiritual beings, including the demonic forces of evil. And biblically speaking, yeah. Yeah, he did. He's the creator of all things, right? Because we have to understand, what are demons? Demons are fallen angels. Who created all the angelic hosts? The Godhead in Christ. It was created through Christ, by Christ, for Christ. And so even these angels were created for this purpose. They exist to serve Christ and to bring him glory. And so Christ must have known that at some point, some of these angels would fall, that a third of the angels would rebel and fall along with Satan, as Revelation chapter 12 tells us. Like, he, Christ had to know that. He's God, right? So why did he still create them? I think I know why he still created them. Because even after they fell, they will still serve him. The demons will contribute to his glory. Right, because the demonic forces and the spiritual powers, their existence and the warfare they wage will only serve to magnify the greatness and the power of Jesus. That's why he lets them exist. Okay, so confession. So as I'm preparing this message this past week, right, it's Wednesday, I'm, I'm, try, I'm writing this portion of the message, Christ is supreme over the demonic powers. And I wrestled with that because I'm like, like, who does, who does this speak to? Like, 
God, really, does anybody in our church really need to hear this message? Is this relevant? That Christ is supreme over demonic powers. And I'm just, I'm just writing the message because that's what it says in the text. And I got I, I to, gotta, you know, preach that. And so as I'm wondering if this is relevant to anybody, my 4.30 appointment walks in. And it comes into my office, sits on my couch. We had planned this last week. And it takes him a while to open up. And he's visibly shaken, and he finally opens up, and he says, Greg, when I accepted Christ just a few months ago, he said, I was in my car. I I pulled up to the church. I parked in the car, and I was sitting in my car, and I I was praying, and I invited Christ within, gave my life to Christ right there. He says, as soon as I finished praying, he says, I looked down at my, my odometer, and it says 666. And he was like startled. As a, as a brand new believer, like lit, literally brand new, he's startled because 666 is a number he, he's heard about before. Then he says the next day he goes to the gym, right? And he's on the, he's on the machine and he's, he's, he's doing his workout. When he's done, he says, the machine tells me I just burned 666 calories. And he says, I was so shaken. I was scared. He's like, I literally kept running just to up the calorie count. He's like, I, I had to change that number. And he's like, startled. And, and then he tells me other things that happen. And in my mind, as I'm listening to some of this, to be honest, I was like, well, it's coincidence. Right? It's just coincidence. Don't be afraid. But then he says, even that day, it was Wednesday, he says, before I came into the office, I was at the basketball courts. I was just shooting hoops by myself. And then this guy comes, and he asks if he could play with me. He says, Pastor Greg, this guy, he looked sickly, and he had, like, teeth missing, and he had skin, like, peeling off his, his face. He's like, I don't want to play with him because of, he intimidated me. But he, he said, okay, let, let's play. And as they were playing, this brother of, of, of ours asked this guy, he said, hey, what's your name? And the guy goes, my name is Satan. Satan Lucifer. And I, I, I actually started laughing. I'm like, are you? Is he joking? Is he kidding? He's like, no. That, he said that's the name his mom gave him. His name, he said, was Satan Lucifer. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm realizing, I don't know if this is all coincidence. Maybe there is an enemy who's trying to rob you of your joy and rob you of your newfound faith. And so I, right there in that moment, the Lord affirmed for me, yes, this is a message that needs to be proclaimed. And I proclaimed it to my brother right there in my office. And I will proclaim it to everyone here in these seats. I'm going to say it out loud. Child of God, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme. He rules high above everything on earth, including demonic forces. Theologically, here's what the Bible tells us. This is true. The Bible tells us that there's a devil and he's powerful. It's true. It's what my Bible says. But you know what is also theologically true from the very same source? Christ is greater. Christ is greater. And the Bible tells us this, that Jesus has supreme authority. And if the enemy tries to instill fear in you, do not fear. Why? For the supreme authority over all creation, including over the demonic forces, resides in you. Let me show you this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. It says, And every spirit 
that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Hallelujah. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You have the supreme authority living in you. Don't let that fly over your head. Let me help you understand the power of authority. How many of you guys have, you've had this experience, right? You're driving down the street, and you're going a little fast, as everybody does, right? And then all of a sudden, in your rearview mirror, you see this marked car. And on top of the car, there's, you see that there's lights. And what, what happens? Well, for me, I start panicking. Like my heart starts pounding, right? I get all scared and I hit the brakes and I, and I start obeying the law, right? I mean, I always obey the law. You know that, right? right? But, but, but let's say for the sake of this illustration, like I hit the brakes because why? Because I recognize that the police officer has been given authority that's greater than me, right? So he ha- he, this guy could be 120 pounds, and I could take him in a fight, but, but I ain't fighting him. If he has a badge, I ain't fighting him. I ain't resisting him. I will do as he says. He will not do as I say. Why? Because he has authority. He has authority to pull me over, authority to give me a ticket, authority to throw me into jail. That's been given to him. Now, how many of you guys have ever been driving down the street, kind of going fast, and you look in the rearview mirror, and you see that marked police car. And you see it has lights on top. And, and it happens, and you're panicking, your heart's pounding, and, and you hit the brakes. And because you hit the brakes, the car comes closer to where you are, and you look closer, and you go, wait, hold up. That's not a police car. That's a security car, right? Or it's, a, it's parking patrol, right? And you go, on. And so what do you do? You step on the gas again, right? Why? Because he's got nothing on me. He's got no authority. He can't pull me over. He can't give me a ticket. He can't throw me into jail. Like the dude in that car could be 225 pounds, pure muscle. He might be big and he might be bad, but he's got no badge. He's got no authority over me. And so I'm good. See you later. I'm out, right? Listen. Christ has supreme authority, and the supreme authority resides in you. And child of God, if you've given your heart to Christ, he has given you authority. And we need not be afraid because the Bible says Satan and the demonic powers know of his authority. James tells us that the demons know him. They believe who he is, and they shudder. The demons tremble. At the name of Jesus. And they know that. And so we need not be afraid. If Christ is in you, then trust in the supremacy of Christ. Trust that demonic powers exist to exalt Christ. And all creation ultimately will bow to his supremacy. Amen? Amen. Now, Satan is powerful. But the Christ in us is more powerful. And yet Satan is powerful. He's also shrewd. And if he can't use demonic powers and spirits to scare you, sometimes he'll use creation to disrupt creation. He'll take fallen creation to disrupt the rest of creation. What do I mean by that? Well, he's going to use disasters to try to devastate us. He'll try to use divorce 
to divide us. He'll use jealousy to jade us. He'll use disease to disorient us. I.e., he'll use coronavirus to isolate us. And I believe right now we're living in a time and a, and a day where Satan wants to capitalize on coronavirus to instill fear in us. And I, I believe this, the, the devil wants to produce paranoia. He wants to provoke racism. He wants to isolate Christians. He wants to mess up mission plans. Right here at South Bay Community Church, some of our mission trips are kind of on hold right now. They're pending, not because we're scared, but because we don't even know if the flights will bring us into these destinations. And so we're just waiting to see what the airline companies and, and the, how the situation unfolds. Here at South Bay Community Church, we've heard of people who have decided not to come to church. Some of these seats are empty because of the coronavirus. And, and if you're sick, we get that. That's a good decision. But I believe the devil wants to instill fear in a, in a lot of different people. And we've heard um, of a brother who got kicked out of his house last week because he chose to come to church. And a spouse told him, if you go to church, you're not coming home. And so he had to stay in a, in a trailer that night. And we've learned that a life group will stop meeting because the leader can't come to church. And so I believe the devil wants to capitalize on this crisis, but not just in the South Bay. Think about the countries that are uh, even more impacted. All right, this week, I got four different missionary updates, four different missionaries, different parts of the world, from Hokkaido, from Taiwan, from Thailand, and from Tokyo. And the subject matter of every one of these updates was how coronavirus has severely disrupted life and ministry as they know it. And all of these letters were pleas for prayer. Pray for the glory of God. Pray that God works through this, right? Because they're sharing in these updates, businesses have closed down. Businesses that keep them alive have taken hits. Schools have shut down. Roads are empty. Ministry events are on hold. People aren't coming to church. And so pray for us. And at the epicenter of this epidemic, or this now pandemic, is, is this pastor in Wuhan. And, and, and this pastor writes a letter, and he says how the coronavirus scare has dominated his daily thought, consumed him, not out of fear, but because of concern for his church and, and the people and, and how it's affecting them. And here's what this Wuhan pastor writes. He just goes by Wuhan pastor. But he said this, you must know that this is not just an observable disaster, but even more, it is a spiritual battle. You must first wage a battle for your heart and secondarily battle for the soul of this city. Wuhan pastor. In other words, what is, what is he saying? This is not just a visible disaster. We see how it's disrupting everything. But even more, it is a spiritual battle. It's an invisible battle. But praise God. Because what do we know, church? Who is above that which is visible and invisible? Christ our King. The one who sits on the throne. And, and so I suggest, how are we supposed to respond in light of Christ's supremacy, how do we respond to the coronavirus? I suggest that the proper response for us, church, is not to overreact, 
but also don't underreact. Like, I mean, don't get all freaked out where, like, you're rushing everywhere, trying to get all the toilet paper and water you can, and don't, don't underreact where it's like, whatever. You know, we don't have to be scared. We're Christians, you know. It's like the flu and just, like, not care and carry on. No, 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 no. As Christians who, who understand the supremacy of Christ and all things exist to bring him glory, let's bow to his supremacy and let's engage in the spiritual battle, let's not be blind to this, and let's wage war with prayer. Let's plead, plead to, the, to the God who sits on the throne to use this for his glory. We should care deeply. Right? Don't be deep in fear, but care deeply. Deep in care, deep in compassion for the world to turn to Jesus. We have a unique opportunity right now. Here's what the Wuhan pastor went on to say. He said this. He says, those unmoved by the plight of Wuhan should call on God to change their hearts. If you do not feel a responsibility to pray, ask the Lord for a loving soul and earnestly prayerful heart. If you are not crying, ask the Lord for tears. Because we surely know that through the hope of the Lord's mercy will this city be saved. In other words, right now there is a unique opportunity for people living in fear to turn to the true and living God and to cry out in desperation for help. Maybe some people for the first time in their lives. There's there's an opportunity right now for the world to see disease bow to the supremacy of Christ. Just like the demons, for disease like, like coronavirus to bow to his authority and contribute to his glory. Church, people in Hokkaido need Jesus. People in Taiwan need Jesus. People in Thailand need Jesus. People in Tokyo need Jesus, where this spiritual battle is raging. People in the South Bay, we need Jesus. And Christians, I know, I know we don't have immunity, but we have security and we have sanity because of Christ's supremacy. And so let's pray that people all over the world will find their sanity and security in the supremacy of Christ. Amen? Let's pray for people to find Jesus. So, all the creation shall bow to Jesus, for he is the firstborn. But I also see that Paul makes this point. All the church shall bow to Jesus, for he is the head. You might want to write that down. All the church shall bow to Jesus, for he is the head. Verse 18, we we pick up again. And he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so verse 18 is telling us that Christ is the head of the body. He's the beginning of the church. He established the church. And that happened because he's the firstborn among the dead. When he died and conquered the grave and came back to life, the church was birthed. He's the firstborn among the dead. And being the firstborn from among the dead, that gives him supremacy and highest authority over the church. The Bible tells us that one day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And I believe that some will bow out of regretful humiliation, like the demons and disease. And I believe that others will bow out of humble adoration, like the body of Christ. Why? Because we as the body, we recognize Christ is the head. And so we will bow not out of humiliation, but we will bow out of humility. So how do we bow? What does, that, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let me give you two ways we as the body of Christ, we bow to the head. Number one, it looks like this. We will give him the final word. We will give him the final word. Because if Christ is supreme over our church, that means he is the ultimate head of this, of this church. Not any man, not any pastor, not any life group leader, not any ministry leader, but, but Christ. And so we will surrender to his leadership. We will obey his instructions. We will carry out his commands because he is the head. So I was walking through my house the other day um, quite briskly, and I'm walking by the staircase, and I, 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 I kicked the bottom of the staircase with my bare feet, and I nailed my pinky toe. And in, a, in an instant, I'm in fetal position, like rocking on the floor, like crying, screaming like a little girl, right? Like I'm just laying there, and it's amazing when my, when my pinky toe got stubbed, it's amazing how every part of my body goes to work, right? Because my knees crumbled, my, my legs crumble, my knees get pulled to my chest, my torso is rocking me back and forth, my arms are transporting my hands down to my feet, my fingers take over, grab a hold of my pinky toe, trying to rub it as if that makes it feel better, right, to make it stop, like, throbbing. My eyes are squinted. I don't know how this helps, but it felt good, right? In that moment, I just had to do it. My teeth are clenched to keep me from screaming. All of my body went to work because of my pinky toe, because my pinky toe is hurting. Who's telling my body parts to do all these things? My brain. My brain is sending messages through my central nervous system to the different parts of my body. Your pinky toe just got hurt. Do this. And everything goes to work in an instant. In the same way, Christ is the head of the body. And the head is going to give instruction to the parts of the body to accomplish tasks. A brother is hurting. Let's all hurt. A sister's rejoicing. Let's all rejoice. Or maybe it's a task of we need to worship. Or a task of we need to evangelize. Or a task of we need to make disciples. Or a task of we need to reach this community. And so the, the, the brain will give instruction to the parts of the body. We all play different parts. Maybe you're the mouthpiece. You're the teacher. And so you're going to help present the word of God. Maybe you're the, 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 the hands. You're the helper. And you're doing this stuff behind the scenes Maybe, maybe you're doing the administration and you're making sure all the details are taken care of. But we all have different parts and we seek our instruction from the head, which is Christ. Now, pretty simple illustration, right? Christ is the head, we are the body. Christ is the head, we are the body. That's pretty easy. But do you realize that's easy to understand and sometimes challenging to walk that out, right? Because how many times the, do the parts of the body don't want to listen to the brain? They listen to other parts of the body. Like for me, like a lot of times my stomach will tell my hand, just grab one more donut, just, just one more, all right? Well, my brain is telling me no. A lot of times I wake up, my body's saying, don't go to the gym. 
when my brain's telling me, go. And so there's constantly like my parts telling me what I should do, what I shouldn't do, when my brain is telling me another thing. And I think that happens in the church too. How can we make sure that we truly submit to the head, that we give Christ the final word, the ultimate instruction? And I believe, just very practically, we can do that when each of us, when each of us make a decision that Jesus will be the head of my body. Jesus will be the head of me. Because if we are all committed to that, and you are personally committed to falling, falling under his leadership, we can make sure that this body actually walks like Christ's head. Right, because if you aren't personally committed to the leadership of Christ, then how will we know when our leadership here in this church is committed to the leadership of Christ? How would you know if we go astray, you're just going to go astray with us? Because that's what the other part of the body says. And yet I pray that every single one of us would resolve in our hearts, Christ is the head of me. So that Christ could be the head of this church. One day, God forbid the leadership of this church, we, we, we lose focus. We go astray, and all of a sudden, instead of reaching people, we're, we're pouring all our resources, all our attention into the beautification of this building. Or maybe we're, we're giving all our attention and energy to, to merely churchgoers, solely churchgoers. And I pray that there are plenty of you who have been committed to the final word of Christ, and you say, hey, wait, hold up. Didn't Jesus say, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded? I, I hope you would keep us accountable. And if another part of the body ever tells you, you got to give this amount of money or this certain percentage if you want Christ to bless you, I pray that you would have it on your, on, on your heart to go to the final word of Christ. Say, actually, in Corinthians, it says you should give cheerfully, what your heart has decided to give and not under compulsion. It's not what you tell me I need to give. What does Christ say I need to give? I pray that if anyone tells you you need to speak in tongues, if, if you want to prove that you have the Spirit of God in you, if you want to prove your salvation, that you're saved, you, you better speak in tongues. I pray that you would be able to come to Christ, His Word, and say, actually, it says that Christ gave us all different gifts, and I'm saved by grace through faith. Not by my gifts. And so if all of us would be committed individually to submitting to the instructions of Christ and saying Christ has final word, then I believe the whole body will be able to keep each other accountable and we will all walk in submission to the head. And in that way, the church, we will bow to the supremacy of Christ. Okay, so we will give him the final word. And the, the last thing I want to share with you today, how else do we bow as a church? We will give him the highest praise we will give him the highest praise right because if christ is the head of the church then he needs to be the focus of our praise we exist as a body to lift up the head to exalt the head and god forbid this church ever becomes a person driven church Right where the attendance and the commitment and the praise and the excitement is focused around a person or a group of persons, a group of people. 
right? Because there are churches where, where all the excitement and all the attention and praise is around, around a worship band or a gifted communicator. And that's why people are excited to come to church. And that's what fills people. God forbid we ever become a church that's, that's program-driven because of the awesome kids' ministry or the beautiful building program that's going. It's going to be amazing because there are churches where that is the draw and the only draw. And I want to say none of these things are bad. These are great things that I believe the Lord blesses the church with, but these parts are only parts that exist to serve the head of the body. That all these parts were created by him, through him, and for him. We've got to be sure that the, 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 the amazing resources we have in this place are all pointing to Jesus. Like any pastor's dream, many pastor's dreams, is to build a large church, a mega church, and they thrive off multiple thousands of people coming week after week. And a lot of times, you dig down deep, the motivation is what? Somehow there's this, there's this idea that maybe that's a reflection of themselves, that it's because of their giftedness or their leadership or their charisma or their personality. I, I admire, some of you guys know Francis Chan who I believe understands the supremacy of Christ over the church. And the reason I say that is because he attained that pastor's dream where, where he has a story of, you know, 30 people meeting in my living room was built to a church of 6,000 people meeting in Simi Valley. Thousands of people coming, gathering, excited, and yet the world was shocked when he left that church. He walked away from it. The question is, why, Francis, why would you leave this church that everybody would love to be a part of? And in his answer, he says, because everything started to center around a man and a speaking gift. Everything started to surround a sermon. And it troubled his heart that he would go to church and he would hear out of people's mouths the utterances, Francis Chan, more than he would hear Holy Spirit. He said, that is not a good place for me to be. And what he realized is that the church had become more person-driven rather than purpose-driven. Driven by the purpose of exalting Christ as king, as Christ, the head of the body. It had become person-driven more than purpose-driven. It had become man-centered more than Christ-centered. And I pray we never become that kind of church. But through these things, these amazing things, Christ is to be pointed to. And he is to be praised. Paul, who wrote this, man, he's just not talking to talk. Paul, I mean, he walked that walk. Acts chapter 14 is a story about Paul. And Paul's here, and he's with his buddy Barnabas, and they're doing great things for the Lord, serving the Lord, healing people, laying hands on people. And there's this one man in Acts 14 who's crippled. His, his whole life he's not able to walk. And they minister to him, and the guy gets up and he starts walking. And the crowd goes crazy. The city is in uproar because who are these guys? They must be gods. And so everybody's getting bulls and wreaths and sacrifices, and they throw them at Paul and Barnabas' feet, worshiping them like they're gods because of what they're able to do. And what does Paul say? He says, don't do it. He tears his robe, which is Bible for no, don't do it. He says, worship God. I'm a man just like you. Worship God. 
And he tries desperately to turn their attention to the heavens. Revelation chapter 19 and 22, we see it again. This time it's the angel of the Lord. A servant of the Lord, he exists to serve the Lord and bring him glory. And he's showing John, the apostle, a vision of heaven. That's the angel's purpose, to show him the glories of God. And so he, he shows John, this is what heaven's going to look like. And John is just overwhelmed. He can't handle this. This is so good. This awaits. And so what does John do? Naturally, he falls to the floor and he starts worshiping at the foot of the angel. He starts worshiping the angel. What does the angel say? Don't do it. He says, I'm a servant just like you. Serve him. And he uses all his energy to direct John to the king of kings. I love it. The, the servant here on earth, Apostle Paul, and the servant there in heaven, the angel of the Lord, they both realize the purpose of their existence. It's to lift up Jesus. And anytime anybody was tempted to, to give them praise, ultimate praise, they were quick to deflect that and say, give him highest praise. That's why we exist. To point people to Jesus. I'll close with this. Years ago, I went to a concert. I was excited about this concert because uh, these talented musicians were in town. Shane and Shane. If you don't know them, they're these Christian artists, amazing at the guitar, amazing musicians and vocalists. And so all these people packed this auditorium. They gathered to hear Shane and Shane. And I've been to a lot of concerts before. They're exciting. There's a lot of energy going. And, and I noticed that this concert was a little different from most concerts I've been to. Because at this concert, they didn't even sing all their own songs. They were singing other songs people wrote. And, and these other songs were actually worship songs. So it felt a lot more like a worship night like we had last Friday than it did a, a performance or a concert. And I remember it came to the end of the night and, and the song was such a familiar song. And they caused us to sing, he is exalted, the king is exalted on high. I will praise him, he is exalted, forever exalted, and I will praise his name. Oh, I love that song. I, I always sing that in youth group, and so here we are singing it. Everybody's crying out. People have their hands up. People are standing up. Some people are on their knees. Some people are just, just, just singing it in the quietness of their hearts. But here we go. It's like the last, last part of the song, and you know how the musicians cut out the music? And they go, it's just the voices now. Okay, he is exalted. The king is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is exalted, forever exalted, and I will praise his name. And here we are, we're singing, and we're singing just a cappella, just the voices. And as we sing that a couple times, all of a sudden it comes to an end. And there I am, I'm just left here in this posture as I'm thinking about Jesus, and I'm envisioning my Jesus sitting on the throne, and I'm praising his, and I'm standing here just caught up in this moment. But nothing's happening. I don't hear anything. So I open my eyes, and I'm shocked. Everyone's gone. Everyone on stage is gone, and the lights are off, and every musician on the stage had left the stage. And that was the night. And I love that picture of what just happened. Here's Shane and Shane, these incredibly gifted and talented musicians, along with their whole band. 
were using everything they had to direct the people to Jesus. And as we fixed our eyes on Jesus and our, our hearts are bowed to the King of Kings, and we were focused on him, Shane and Shane quietly, secretly exited the stage as to draw, draw no attention to themselves, but to lead the people in standing ovation to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And church, that is why we exist, to point people to him for all of creation, all things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were created by him, through him, and for him. He is the firstborn of creation. He is the head of the body. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads before him. And so, God, we bow our heads now physically, but, Lord, this really is, I pray, the posture of our hearts, Lord, that we would acknowledge Lord, that you are so worthy of our worship, of us gathering, of us giving, of us singing, of us serving, of our lives. Lord, we thank you so much for this truth that the Lord of all creation, the supreme authority lives in us. And so we, we have your authority over demonic powers and spirits. Lord, we need not be afraid over diseases. We're not immune, but we're secure. We're, we're, we have our sanity because of your supremacy, Lord. God, help us as a church to, to continue to, to live out this purpose, to help people find Jesus and follow him. Help us to point more and more people to you, Lord. This is our purpose. This is why we breathe. This is why we have our being. It is in you, through you, and for you. So, Lord, we continue to sing. We continue to worship, for you are our king. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.